Look in your Bible, if you would, to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. And if you do not have your Bible with you, there uh, is one in the pew rack near you. There are uh, two kinds of books in some of the pew racks. The shorter ones are copies of the Bible. I want to read as we begin the first paragraph of Luke chapter 2, which is probably uh, the most familiar to all of us of the tellings in the Gospels of the story of the first Christmas. Beginning in Luke 2, verse 1. Now it came about in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census should be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all were proceeding to register for the census, every one to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, the city, uh, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David. In order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child, and it came about that while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. And it came about when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came in haste and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. It is always a poignant thing to realize, a thing tinged with sadness, to know that under compulsion of pagan authority, at a time very perilous to her health, to the life of her unborn child, Mary and Joseph were alone, traveling to the place of his ancestry, but a place that was their home no longer so that in obedience to due authority they might 
register so that Rome might have accurate roles from which to exact taxes from everyone in its empire. It seems tragic that there was no room that night for them in the inn. Certainly they wound up with more privacy and probably a, a more uh, conducive uh, atmosphere in which to have a child in the stable than they would have in the crowded rooms of the hostel where people would take shelter for the night. But it remains that there was no room for them in a place of safety and provision. They rather had to share the shelter of the animals. But it is not nearly so much a tragedy that there was no room for them in the end, that they were inconvenienced by their travel and by the long journey they had to make on foot in a cool uh, and windy time of the year. The real tragedy is that from year to year throughout the history of Christianity, perhaps more so in the United States today than at any time in our history, we take so totally for granted the fact that God became a man and we have so little time to think and focus on Him. There is a word with which we are very familiar, descriptive of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it would probably surprise you to know that it only occurs three times in the Bible. It is the word Emmanuel. It was a part of the promise as we see in the, uh, God, in the prophecy of Isaiah, portraits of Messiah. It was one of those first portraits when the name of Messiah was revealed as God revealed His name to Moses. For we are told in Isaiah 7, 14, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which is God with us. That word, the term for Messiah, is repeated in Isaiah chapter 8. And then it is a part of the record of Matthew in Matthew 1 verse 23 where he quotes the Isaiah verse. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. There are so many angles of uh, beauty and treasures of knowledge wrapped up in the coming of God into human flesh that we can look at as we consider Christmas. But this morning I want to focus on answering or some of the answers to a very basic question. And that question is, why would God become a man? Why did God become a man? I want to suggest to you several reasons. They do not exhaust the repertoire of truth, but they will help us to focus in the proper direction on this Christmas Eve. First, God became a man in order to reveal to mankind 
what God is like. There were messengers who came from God. They told us about Him. There is, as Scripture tells us, the witness of nature that one is willfully and deliberately foolish to look at creation in any direction and not see the sovereign hand of a supernatural being. But God is limited in revelation by the medium that He chooses. It is uh, it doesn't seem possible, and yet it is true that no two snowflakes are alike, and they are such incredibly beautiful things. No two human beings are alike, and yet there is a never-ending variety and combination of factors that make each one of us different, even though there are billions of us in the earth. There is beauty. There is order. There is in nature so much that we can see of God, but nature is limited in what it can reveal to us about God. Those that He has sent to tell us what He is like. Language is limited. Human metaphor is limited. And though there is much that we can gain by way of knowledge, it is all abstract until Jesus Christ. When God stepped down from glory and became a man. In other religions, God has interaction with mankind. We see Him in many ways. In some of those religions... God, a God, came into humanity. But always He came as a superman. Always He came as one with a different kind of body, with powers that He used for His own advantage. Never one time in the mythology of pagan religions is there a God who subjected Himself in every way to the common experience of humanity. But in Jesus Christ, we see in one like us what God is like. If you would know what Almighty God is like, the only way you can really find out is to look at Jesus Christ. You know, I'm afraid that uh, sometimes uh, we have the idea that the God of the Old Testament, the God of creation, the God who spoke from the mountain, the God of the glorious presence in the temple was a God of anger a God who had no patience, a God who demanded things that we could not provide, and somehow Jesus moderated His attitude toward humanity. But that is not true. In eternity past, where God with no beginning and no ending dwells and reigns in uncreated glory and splendor before the first act of creation... He chose 
that he would clothe himself in flesh and take upon him our nature, suffer in every way that we suffer, tempted in every way that we are tempted, yet without sin and becoming sin, dying for our sins that we might live with him forever. Is God compassionate? Look at Jesus Christ as he stops and touches those in need. Is God tender? See him embrace the leper and heal those who were in need. See him give sight to the blind. See him urging the disciples to allow the little children to come to him. Is God loving? On his last night, facing the specter of the cross, he seated his betrayer, Judas, in the place of highest honor. He gave him the ceremonial first bite of the memorial meal, indicating signal and singular honor for Judas. And lovingly he gazed into his eyes one more time, giving him the opportunity to come. Is God powerful? Hear the Lord Jesus as he rises to his feet on a windy sea and says, Hush, be still. And the wind and the waves lay down at his feet like a scolded puppy. See him stand before the tomb of his friend and cry out, Lazarus, come forth. And one dead, four days, already decomposing, rose instantaneously from the dead and came forth from the grave. And had he not specified Lazarus, every grave on the hillside would have emptied. When you gaze at Jesus of Nazareth, you know what God is like. In John 14, verse 9, Jesus said to him, Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How do you say, show us the Father? When you have seen him, you have seen the Father. The great artist Michelangelo spent months flat of his back with his neck back as far as it would go painting above his head the ceiling of the great Sistine Chapel in Rome. And it is said of Michelangelo that when he finished the Sistine Chapel he had looked up for so long that it was only with great pain that he could look down. And it would serve us well as Christians to look up into the face of Jesus so often 
that only with pain would we be able to shift our gaze away from Him and look down to other things. God became a man to show us what God is like. Secondly, God became a man to enter into our experiences so that He would be able to comfort us. Sooner or later, every individual discovers the need of God. Sadly, there are many who do not recognize that need. Even more tragically, there are millions who have never had the opportunity presented to them to find that need met. But a part of his incarnation was the fact that he becomes for us our great high priest who was tempted in every way that we are, who has experienced everything that we have experienced, who knows our hurt, who knows our heartache, who knows our pain, and cannot only care about us, but can feel with us and be in the pain with us. And that is what comfort is all about. Jesus Christ is the answer to the little boy's prayer who said, God, I want to see you with skin on. Jesus is God with skin on. He is the answer to the cry of mankind for someone who knows and cares and understands. He came in flesh. In flesh he experienced everything that we experience. He knew hunger. He knew thirst. He knew sorrow. He knew anguish and pain. He was so tired that he fell by the well of Sychar in Samaria, exhausted in the heat of the day. He was so tired and at one point that he fell asleep in a boat though there was a storm raging around him. He knew what it was like to be forsaken by his friends. He knew what it was like to be lonely. He knew what it was like to be misunderstood by his family for once during his public ministry, his mother and his brothers came to get him because they thought he had gone crazy and they wanted to take him away quietly. He knew the heartache and the tears of personal loss. He knew pain and suffering and death in a way that we will never know it because of his sacrifice. In Hebrews chapter 2, verses 16 through 18, the, the writer to the Hebrews said, For assuredly he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendants of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brethren in all things, that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. In Hebrews 4, verses 15 and 16. 
For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and may find grace in our time of need. He, God became a man to enter into our experience and comfort us. Thirdly, God became a man to show us what man was created to be. To show us what man was made to be. Man is an enigma. Human nature and the way it expresses itself in our lives defies rational explanation. We are made as a race so that we will do what we in our perverse natures choose to do even though it damages us. We are told by uh, science that one of the basic drives of humanity is self-preservation. And while that may be true after a fashion, the fact is that our nature is so uh, perverse and twisted because of sin that we have a drive to destroy ourselves. Man is an enigma. Made in God's image, he has gone off to follow his own way, to worship idols, some of wood and stone, some which are chrome-plated. Man uses God's name flippantly, disobeys authority at every opportunity, hurts, murders, violates every law of decency, steals, cheats, lies, covets, wages war, and the smarter we get technologically, the more fiendish become the ways that mankind has devised to make war on the rest of mankind. Man was never meant to be like that. Man's purpose, the answer to the riddle of man, is found in the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the coming into flesh of God. He showed us what man was meant to be. In the first Adam, everything that we were meant to be was lost by choice, the choice to sin. In the second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, by His life, His death, His resurrection, everything that man was meant to be was regained and becomes our possession through the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus never retaliated. He was unselfish. He always received those who were not welcome anywhere else, those who were unwanted. He forgave freely. He humbled Himself. He was gentle. He was love personified. And that is what man was created to be like. In the book of 1 John, we are told in 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, that the one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. 
You know, in life, the only debt that we owe, the only way that we can repay our debt to those who have meant so much to us is to mean the same thing to someone else. And the way that we can demonstrate our love and our gratitude to Him is to walk as He walked. By His power, because of His presence, His grace and forgiveness in our lives, to live as He lived. God became a man to show us what man was created to be. And then man became, God became a man to redeem mankind. This is the overarching, overshadowing purpose of Christmas, of God coming into human flesh. He came in order to pay the penalty for sin. And in His death on the cross, He paid it all and our redemption is complete. Christ has dealt with the world, the flesh, and the devil, defeating all, putting them under His feet, making it possible for us, even in this lifetime, to be seated with Him in heavenly places and to live in righteousness. Our redemption is complete in Him. In the Gospel of Matthew chapter 3, in the things, chapter 2, in the things that are written there about the first Christmas time, we are told that after the baby was born, there came uh, men of wealth and power from the Far East who had traveled for months and had followed a star to see the one who would be born King of the Jews. In the dispersion of the Jews to the four corners of the earth following the collapse of their society hundreds of years prior to this, all over the ancient world they had taught the truth of Scripture. And there was far away a people who worshipped another god but who were familiar with the ancient writings of the Jews. And they had discerned that a star would be given as a sign of the birth of a very special man. And they followed that star. We are told in plain and simple language, not very flowery, but very direct and very forceful, that when they had found the baby, they worshipped him. Whatever they came to find, they found in him the God that they had sought. And we are told in Matthew 2.12 that when they had worshipped Him, they went home another way, by another route. And surely it is true that no one can ever meet the Lord Jesus Christ and ever be the same again. Surely Christmas means that we go home another way. The wise men were the first in a long, profession, long procession who having seen Him have gone away differently. How else would you explain the ragtag bunch of teenage boys that followed Him? Peter, John, James, Andrew, 
obscure men lifted from nothingness to everything by the love and grace of Jesus Christ. How would you explain a man like Levi, the Apostle Matthew, who served as an official, a tax official, for the hated Romans who gave up all of his income and all of his career and all of his power and position to become a fisher of man? How would you explain the woman at the well in Sychar of Samaria, a scarlet woman, a woman coming in the heat of the day to draw water because the other women would not allow her to come in the morning or the evening because she was an outcast who became a flaming evangel and ignited a revival that converted an entire city. And I would ask you a question this morning. On this or any other Christmas, have you been to Bethlehem have you looked into His face? Have you bowed before Him who is the Lord of life? I invite you to join the procession of the wise and go home a different way. May we pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We celebrate so joyfully His birth, but across the cradle there is the shadow of the cross. And we know that without the cross, His work would have not been complete. Father, we live our lives unmindful of You so often. We handle with a deadening familiarity high and holy things that hundreds of millions of people have never heard. May we live in such a way that as we are in, but not of, a world of darkness, there would be about us the light of His presence so that people might follow us to Him. Father, You know the needs of our hearts of our families, of our congregation, of our nation, and our world. I pray that somehow at this Christmas season, through the rush, through the distraction of world events, through the turmoil in many places, somehow the star of Bethlehem would be seen again and many would come to worship Him. Do with us as you please, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In a moment, we are going to sing as a hymn of invitation during this time of commitment. The hymn, O Come All Ye Faithful. If you need the hymnal, it is number 81. And I invite you to come to the Lord Jesus Christ, to trust Him as your Savior and Lord, to find in Him the true meaning of life, I invite you to join this congregation if you are a Christian and God would lead you to invest your life here with us in His service. I invite you to meet me at the front for these needs or whatever the Lord would prompt you to do. I invite you, if you would like to, simply to kneel and pray or at least where you are before you leave this house this morning. Have the courage to ask Him what He wants you to do 
and purpose in your heart to do it. There is no worship without response. So whether it is public or private, what he would have you do, do it right now, do it quickly as we stand while we sing, O come all ye faithful. Thank you for your presence, for your kind attention this Christmas Eve morning. We're so grateful that you have uh, come to be with us this morning. It is time for us to receive God's tithes and our offerings. I would remind you that uh, in order for us to finish the year with all of our obligations met, to enter the new year unencumbered from 89 expenses, we need to have a strong month financially. It is good so far but I encourage you to be faithful this Sunday and next Sunday to give as God makes it possible for you to give. And I call your attention to the Lottie Moon offering for foreign missions. This year, Southern Baptist will give over $80 million. Every dime with not one penny taken out for any administrative cost, every dime will go to support the work of our almost 4,000 missionaries in 130 nations. And uh, we are about halfway to our goal. Uh, I encourage you as you reflect on the goodness of God to you and as you reflect on what you have given to other people that you consider over and above what you normally do a generous and sacrificial gift so that hundreds of millions who have never even heard the name of Jesus may hear. May we pray as our men take their places for the morning offering. Heavenly Father, you have given us your very best. You held nothing back. You counted the cost and were fully willing to pay the price so that we might be saved. 
May we, in response to that love, live in such a way as to mean to others what you have meant to us, and may we, as you have given to us, give generously so that they may know and hear of your love. Father, do with our lives as you choose. I pray that in every home, your special presence would be felt and known this Christmas season. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.